Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success, others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. This is Tilly Money. Our guest today is Alicia Saffron, founder of May Saffron, the solution for institutions wanting to connect intelligently and effectively with the Middle East and Asia-Pacific region. Ellie has over 17 years' experience in institutional investments, 14 of these in the Middle East covering global markets. Formerly a fund manager at the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, Australia, Asia-Pacific and Global Equity Funds, and prior to this, a research analyst at Macquarie Bank, Alicia is currently the Deputy Chair of 100 Women in Finance Middle East, Co-Deputy Chair, Australian Institute of Company Directors Middle East Committee, and she was the Chair and Founder of the Australian Business Group Middle East Association and sat on the Australian Business Group Abu Dhabi Board for 10 years. Ellie was appointed onto the Advisory Board for the Australian UAE Business Council founded and co-chaired by former Australian Minister for Defence, the Honourable Christopher Pine. In 2018, Alicia was one of 100 recipients in the UAE of an award for contributions to the business community. Alicia, welcome to the Tilly Money podcast. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, that was quite a mouthful at the... um... (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, lots of positions there. Now... You've obviously, we've got lots to talk about, but let's get back to that, you know, introduction because a lot of your time seems to have been centred in the Middle East. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, the majority of my adult life has been in the Middle East. So living there? Yes. Yep. So, How was that experience? So um, I, I guess it, it's, all, it's all connected to work and my career, how I got there. Um, and... I I was after a cultural experience um, and I wanted to go and work overseas. Uh, I thought if I went to London, I incorrectly thought if I went to London that I would just hang out with Australians and, and get what people call the Heathrow injection and have a, a less active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought maybe I should go to Asia or the Middle East and have, have a different cultural experience and a different work experience to everyone else and, and discover something new. Mm. So I was at Macquarie uh, at the time and uh, they offered me roles in both the Middle East and in Asia. Mm. Um, and for personal circumstances, my partner at the time, he, he wanted to go to the Middle East instead. So I said to them, let's go to the Middle East. And they said, no problem. But then I was very lucky actually to... Um, have been headhunted by the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority back then. They were looking for an Australian to join their Australia fund. Mm. Um, And I think I must have been, it was before the global financial crisis, I was probably the only Australian willing to leave Australia Mm. and move to Abu Dhabi um, at that point in time in our industry. So I, I got lucky and that's a story in itself how that happened um, which I'm happy to share um, and and got got the opportunity to move there in 2007. So you were there from 2007 until? I'm still technically there um, so yeah I've been there 15 years 
Mm. Um, I was at ADIA, the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, for eight years from mm. 2007 to 2015. Mm. And uh, I, I set up uh, my advisory firm in 2015 in Abu Dhabi when, when I left ADIA. And why did you end up setting up that firm? Obviously, was that by demand or you just saw the opportunity to work in a different capacity? Tell us about that. Yeah, look, I think if I look back on my whole career and how things have evolved, um, I definitely have an ambitious streak uh, and and like to pursue opportunities and see things that are different and want to explore them. So I think when I was when I was sitting in Adia, it's actually around one specific thing that happened. I was called into a meeting very very last minute to meet a very successful uh, big Australian uh, entrepreneur, um, and at the time my fund was the only fund in Adia that could invest in it in this company and I thought oh gosh I only just got called into this meeting last minute um, and and I just sort of saw how it's a very misunderstood region um, and and there's not clear mapping and 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 not you know the culture in itself creates a real division on relationships and it's a big relationship place mm. and I thought I wonder I wonder if there's an opportunity here to create uh, a more aligned bridge so um, someone with my background with my western network and relationship and cult and cultural understanding of the west but also now with this new experience and understanding um, from where I'd been living plus with my financial background so that's really where I saw saw the opportunity and and that's that's what we um, that's what we focus on we we not only use our relationships but we use our financial knowledge, our experience, my experience as a, as a portfolio manager and an investor, my partner's experience in strategy and advisory. Um, and we, as we say, we try to intelligently help create strengths in partnerships and, and capital relationships. Wow. This is your saying around 2015. Is this when you came up with the idea of May Saffron? Yes. Yes, that's correct. I must ask, yeah. what's, I can understand Saffron because that's your surname, but where's the May from? Oh, I get asked this all the time. And I never thought about this when I set it up. But um, it's sort of, you know, it's, uh, and I wonder, I think a lot of other people would say this, you set something up and you don't really, you have an idea, but things sort of change and develop along the, along the way. And um, so I, I set this up um, and I thought, oh, you know, it'd be good to use saffron. Um, but if you if you look up saffron websites, you end up on a whole lot of um, saffron the spice. Yeah. Um, Very expensive. Yeah. Trades, yeah. Commodity traders and commodity businesses. And I thought, oh, that's that's misleading. And um, yeah. And so I thought, oh, I'll put May in the front. May is on my mother's side. Six generations uh, of the females all have the middle name May. Oh, so okay. it's actually my name as well. Um, and the old family story goes that um, my great great grandmother was was a suffragette or a, a real supporter of the women's movement in the time. So um, there's a nice little sort of meaning to that as well in, okay. in incorporating May mm. in the name. Um, mm. But obviously now I have I have deal partners and people 
that are that are part of the May Saffron group who's who are very involved and, and big supporters and and yeah that um that probably needs to change at some point to help incorporate and recognize them I think yeah but still it's a very good story particularly the May, the May part of it too so how big is May Saffron now we're not big we're 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 lean um but that our tentacles spread far and wide. Mm. Um, we are three main deal partners, mm. and um, we are we are based all in the Middle East, and one advisor is in the US, mm. um, and we're all from Australia and the US. Okay. And um, collectively, we have we have more than seventy years of direct experience in the region. Yeah, that's um, yeah. What are you in Australia at the moment because of COVID? Are you not able to get back there, or I am? Said, yeah. yeah, I am. I um, I came. I came last year for a week with carry-on luggage mm -hmm. um, before the borders closed, and and I got stuck here. I have a. I had a very ill elderly father uh, last year going through severe cancer treatment, um, and so decided to stay to support him through that. Mm -hmm. um and remain remain sort of in that frame of mind and don't want to get stuck yeah um yeah without without you know being able to care for him if that's the case I also don't want to go back and forth with all these Australians abroad who are struggling to get back I just think every yeah. seat on a plane is very valuable at the moment so um I'm just doing what they've told us to stay to stay put and not travel around stay put so are you Sydney in Scotland yes. at the moment. Yes, I'm Sydney, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, okay, so tell me, let's roll back a bit <clears throat> because we now see a date of 2015 when you moved from working in the finance area but more from an employment to your own show, May Saffron. But let's go back even further, roll the years back a little, um, Ellie, and... Tell us how you kicked off your career in the first place. You know, take us through your story. Yeah, sure. Um, I'd love to. So my story is actually a really great story of rejection and failure. And um, it's one I'm happy to talk about. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like to share it for, for these reasons. So it started with... Um, it, in, in the finance area, it started with me wanting to apply for a summer internship at Macquarie Bank. And I applied. I was doing a Bachelor of Business. I majored in investment management and finance and international business at the University of Technology in Sydney. Um, and I applied for this summer internship, not really knowing that much, but knowing that that was something I really wanted to, to have a go at and try for the summer. Um, and I got a straight up hard rejection and mm. I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is not good. Mm. So I, I reached out to my brother, my older brother, whose um, best friends were both the, the husband and the wife um, had been at Macquarie. Um, and I said to him, do you think that I could ask them just for, to get some help, to get some feedback to understand what I what I need to do next time so I don't get rejected. And he said, yeah, of course. He said, send me an email um, that, you know, I'll forward to them and I'll do that. And I said, okay, thank you. So I wrote an email and I wrote exactly that. I, I, and I genuinely didn't want any special treatment. I just wanted to know 
what do I need to do next time for next year so that I don't get a rejection? Because I was only in the second year of my course at this point. So it, this got forwarded to the family friend and the family friend, unbeknownst to me, forwarded it to the HR uh, lady in, in her area, which was a separate area to the area I'd been rejected from um, in equities. Uh, and I got an email from the head of HR for, for equities saying, um, can you come in and do an interview? And I, so in I went and um, my, mom, my mom went out and, and we went out and she bought me a suit. Mm. And um, and bless my mum, she sat me down. I'll never forget. And David Jones and she went through interview questions with me as we sat there having a coffee break on our on our shop to buy the suit. And um, you know the typical interview questions that I still use today that are a bit cliche, but you know what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And 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 those sort of things. Anyway, so I went in and I met them at you know in equities, and it went really well. And they then sent me in for three more interviews and the next thing I knew I had a summer internship um, offer for the summer that I had been rejected and um, that really changed my life it changed my my it, it was it was the stepping stone for my whole career um, and I'm incredibly grateful to my brother that family friend and and this this woman who, who gave me this opportunity um, so I was the only summer intern that summer to join Macquarie's equities business. The rest went to corporate finance. Mm. Equities at the time was much less glamorous. Um, mm. Everybody. I was also, I think I was the only woman at that point that was in the intake or there might have been one other one, but definitely that we were the minority and, um, and, and I was again the minority off to equities. Um, but it was a wonderful experience. I actually ended up having the best summer out of everyone. I think I worked on an IPO. Um, I was in equity research and, and equities research sits within the broader equities business. So I had interaction with the sales desk and even got exposure into clients and really got a full understanding of A, how the equities business works, what the institutional investment market is like and um as well as understanding the importance of how companies work, how to understand companies financially and, and all that sort of thing. So um, it was an amazing summer. It went really well. And they offered me as many days as I could work for that next year, my last year of university. Mm. So I took on four days a week mm. while doing university full time. Um, it was a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> a bit of a tough year. Um, and I, I actually had a personal training business at the time. I had to shut that down um, and um, focus on this. And it was and it was great. And literally, I finished my last exam and I just transitioned to five days a week mm. um, as a as a research associate in in Macquarie Research. Uh, it was great. So I I did that for for four years. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I had that desire to go abroad. Um, and again, this pivotal turning moment is is sort of one of rejection or one of not really getting much take up and me having to, as I say, hustle a little bit mm. um, or elegantly hustle, as I like to say to my team. Um, so I, I did do the interview with the headhunter for this position at Adia when I was at Macquarie. And um, then I did a phone interview with the team. Mm. And then it was just radio silence. I heard absolutely nothing. 
Um, time went on and the next thing I know, I'm off to Abu Dhabi to do, you know, what we'd call a recce. To, I, I said at the time, I want to make sure that I can actually drive and that, it's, it, that it, is, it is the sort of place that I'm imagining it to be before I move there. So um, I, I landed in Abu Dhabi. I was actually on one of the first flights that Etty had, had flown from Sydney to Abu Dhabi at the time. Mm. It was the first week that they'd launched. And I landed in Abu Dhabi and I thought, I'm just going to call the headhunter and tell them that I'm here and ask if that team wants to meet me. Mm. So I rang him. He was in London and um, he said, what? You're in Abu Dhabi? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, my gosh. He said, no one ever goes there. And mm. they don't go there to – you normally get flown – first class to to go and to go and you know be wooed and 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 be shown be shown the the beautiful city and 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 meet the team when they're serious about you I said yeah well that obviously hasn't happened Mm -hmm. so I just thought I'd let you know that I'm here and if the team would like to meet me I'd love to meet them Mm -hmm. he said okay well this is the first let me call them and see what they say and he called back 15 minutes later and he said they'd love to meet you can you be at the office tomorrow at 10 a.m. And I was like, okay, so I hung up. I went straight to Zara and I had to go and buy another suit and um, got, got my work clothes together and, and off I went to, um, to, yeah, to Adia the next day to meet with the team. And the big boss walked out after 15 minutes mm. and I thought, oh, well, that didn't go very well. And uh, <laughs> I stayed with the rest of the team for 45 minutes mm. and that next morning I had an offer um in my inbox um Mm -hmm. and that is that is how that happened so Mm -hmm. um and yeah I moved over shortly after and and um started in the team I had no buy side experience um meaning I had no experience investing directly I'd only ever done research on companies that we provided support to investors with I'd only ever done one sector, the consumer sector, mm-hmm. um, and really only within that retail was my focus. Um, I was very green for this for this role, um, but ironically, I ended up in a team led by an Emirati man um, who sort of sent a message to me five weeks later via the deputy head that I'd now been given half the market as my responsibility for research mm. and um and I thought oh my gosh this is not very good I this this man thinks that I've done half the market when I haven't I've only covered this one sector mm. what am I going to do so I went straight into his office and knocked on the door and said oh excuse me sir you know in his white robe very intimidating I said oh excuse me sir can I please speak to you and he said yes Ellie what is it and I said, oh, I don't know how I've, how I've done this, but I, I've somehow I've, I think that I've led you to understand that I've covered half the market when I haven't. I've only covered the consumer space before and I've just been told my responsibilities. And he looked at me and he said, I know you haven't covered those sectors. He said, but what are you going to do all your life? Cover the same sector? <laughs> he said, how are you going to grow and develop? He said, you can't cover the same sector in Australia for the rest of your life. And I almost fell over. I couldn't believe that this Emirati man with all, all the sort of um, 
what I what I then realized were misconceptions of the cultural sort of support for women mm. was concerned about my career development as mm. as well as not even being a national of his country. Mm. Um, and so he said to me, "But if you can't do it, don't worry. I'll um I'll I'll reallocate it all." And I said, "No, no, no, sir. I can do it. May mm. I just have two weeks to get on top of it all before you start measuring me?" And he said, "No problem." So. Um, I spent two weeks reading a lot and talking to people and, and then things sort of, you know, went from there and it was wonderful. It was a really great opportunity mm. and one I'm very grateful for. Yeah, I can imagine. You said, Ellie, that, you know, your story was one of rejection and failure. I can see where you get the rejection from because at first, you know, you were rejected from Macquarie Bank, but I think you've got that ability to fight rejection. I I think you've been a bit hard on yourself there about rejection and failure. Well, I guess it's more, it's more, I just want to say it, call it that, because I think you're right. I think there is a bit of resilience and there is a bit of hustle. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, we've, we've all, we all experience rejection and, um, and we all, and, and the failure really is more, we all experience, we all have failures. We all have things that don't turn out as we hope, that we don't get, that that aren't success, aren't all of those things. And I remember when I was at Macquarie, Nicholas Moore, who was the head of investment banking at the time, um, when Equities was in investment banking group, mm. came down and did a speech and, and gave us a speech around failing to success mm. and talked about all the deals that they'd worked on and many of them had failed. Mm-hmm. And how those failures of deals have led them to the next deal that had been a success. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm in the business of a lot of a lot of things that don't work, and I I have to remind myself that a lot as well. Yeah, like I think it was Edison with um, the electric light. I think he said uh, I had a thousand failures before I got that light to work. You know exactly. So, so yeah, I think your message is saying that you don't take rejection. You don't run away and just say, oh, well, they didn't want me, that's the end of it, I won't try again. You went back, didn't you? At least you wanted, in the case of the internship, you were saying, well, can you give me some feedback? And in seeking that feedback, doors opened. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's that's sort of what I try to, what we try to convey to our clients as well, because, we're, you know, in, especially in the in the business of raising capital, in the business of raising support for anything, really, you're going to get a hundred no's before you get a yes often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do see it in people, though. I see the, I see the sort of um, they might approach a group three times and get three no's, and um, I, I see the discouragement that they can sometimes feel and take personally, and and that sort of thing. But it's, it's you've got to just keep going keep trying and and um and don't take yeah. it personally no no, no, no. yeah it's, we women have to learn that a bit a bit more maybe yeah maybe not, and ma- maybe we're better at it yeah maybe you know yeah um in terms of making mistakes you know what what do you reckon you was was your biggest mistake and how did you handle it or what did you learn from it oh i've made so many mistakes um <laughs> where do i start um I once I once made a mistake um, with a trade, a very big mistake, um, a very very big mistake. Um, I sold a lot more than we were meant to sell of something, um, and I realised that I'd done it as it was sort of 
going through, um, like being done, being executed. And so I ran into my boss's office. I muted his phone. He was on a on on the speakerphone talking to a, a you know, I knew it was a, a a broker in Sydney, so I knew I could just mute it and they'd keep talking. They were just doing their daily sales sales rundown. Um, and I said to him, I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir, but I've done this mistake and I want to know what you want us to do to fix it. And um, he told me what to do and I went in and, and I fixed it. And um, and in the end it worked it worked in our favour, but that's not the point. The point is, is that I made a mistake and um, the best thing that I did was admit it straight away, um, talk to the person you know, was directly responsible for it as well um, and asked them, tell them I was sorry mm-hmm. and asked them what, what we needed to do to sort of fix it. Um, the next thing I did was I then went back again and spoke to him and apologised again, yep. explained how it happened and he didn't say another word to me about it. And years later I spoke to him about it and he said, um, there was no need to say anything further. You You'd clearly you know, you'd clearly were sorry, you'd recognised the mistake and you'd worked out a way to fix it for next time and um, that, that was enough. And yeah. so, yeah, that, that, was, that was sort of, yeah, that's one that I, that I remember and I, mm. think, I think about a lot. Mm, so you've learned from it though. In, you talked about doing, you know, your Bachelor of Business at UTS. What led you into that? Where, where were your mentors? So it was, I think you said you had a, a graduate in, in investment planning or something like that. Where, what what um, mentors in terms of putting you into the business lane as opposed to any other type of career? I actually think that it goes back to school. Um, and we had a careers advisor. I went to Monte San Angelo Massey College in North Sydney and we had um, a careers advisor, uh, Mrs. Priestley. And um, I remember being in with her, we had sessions with her and she sort of told me about, she was trying to get me into an accounting business double, I think, and sort of opened my, my mind up to business and commerce and, and that sort of thing based on the subjects I'd done. And I thought it seemed sort of interesting. Um, and I think that's, I mean, you sort of just, you just wade your way through at that stage and age. And I was lucky enough to get the marks to get into commerce. So I actually started doing commerce at Sydney and I, I was the first intake of girls at John's College, which is another, a whole other story and experience and lots of fun. But um, I then, I then transferred to UTS um, yeah. to do business there and, um, yeah, I think I think I just knew I wanted to be in the business world mm-hmm. and in the finance world, and um, really, it, 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 it's, it's really it was my only friend at UTS um, who used to do an internship at ANZ. I think it was, and he'd come in every Wednesday in a suit, and I used to think, oh, that looks pretty cool. And <laughs> I, at the time, I worked I worked in a pub mm-hmm. under the Futures Exchange, yeah. and so. I'd do the tray orders for all the those that finished on the futures floor on a Friday afternoon and I'd get to know them a little bit and I saw that and yeah, yeah I just I I knew I wanted to be in the city and I knew I wanted to be in this in this 
in this sector. But yeah, yeah. interesting. It's funny what you absorb. What What are you in your in your observations? You know, we talk about a, a gender pay gap, Ellie, and you know, one of Tilly's goals is to assist in helping that uh, that gap be closed. Have you had in your career? Have you had observations of that of men and women? Largely in the same, almost the same role where there's a pay differential? Yes. Yeah, look, I obviously have. Um, I, uh, I've i been in situations where I've been doing a role uh, formally, even if, um, if not, even if temporarily or, or I've, I've sort of been in a role and then been moved up into a role where um, my pay has not followed that mm. role and doesn't compare even in the same band as some some of my other colleagues. Um, and I also run I run a, a females of influence in finance dinner series. My company runs that in Australia, and we've had a couple of them this year. And definitely, the conversation many times around the table has gotten to this, and I've listened and seen and heard examples of several people um, in this situation. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so it, it is real. Um, there's data around it as well. So um, I, I do see, though, anecdotes and, and activity around addressing it. But I think my best story and mm. the one that would surprise you the most is one of um, the biggest financial institute in Saudi Arabia of all places, which is run by a woman. um, She got up um, at, at an event a couple of years ago that we were, we were hosting and talked about in through her career at this, at this institution, she was the first person and it wasn't when she was CEO. It was, it was when, so, which is even cooler, I think, but she, initiated the um, assessment of all pay to ensure that women who were working and men were receiving the same pay Mm. Um, and now has sort of obviously maintained and sustained that um, as CEO as well now. Mm. And I thought, wow, if Saudi Arabia could do it (laughs) all those years ago, there's no reason why we can't. And it really just comes down to an audit. Mm. And it's just, it's just, you know, looking at what you've got and 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 fixing it up, really. Um, but what what comes out, what goes into one pocket, usually has to go out of another pocket, and that's that's the difficulty, I guess. Mm, that's very so, true. How do you yeah. how do you see success? Ah, oh, it's a good question. Um, look, success. For me, I started working with an executive coach two years ago and um, we did basically, a, whilst she's an executive coach, we did an audit on my whole life um, and because um, really it applies, it applies to everything, right? Um, when, you, when you work on, when you work on your, on your work, on your work self, it helps your personal self and vice versa. Yep. So success for me really is um, is sort of aiming for a seven or an eight out of ten in the areas of family, friendships, community, work, and work growth. Um, 
my financial goals as well as learning something new or doing something new. That, mm. that sort of, to me, is success. Mm. Um, and I think having meaning connected to what I'm doing as well and having an impact. Um, and for me personally, and it's, it's different for everyone, but for me, clearly there is a huge community angle that I'm that I've got that I that that is a need for me and so making sure that that cup is full is success for me and does that take us back you know that at the very beginning when I had that very long list of things about you being involved in 100 women women in finance is that what you're talking about in terms of that's all of that yeah yeah and and that is that all those things you've listed are me and me really trying to fill that cup living in somewhere like the Middle East. Mm. Well, yeah. It sounds amazing. I'd love to keep talking to you. Um, we've run out of time today, Alicia, but um, love to get you back. When are you thinking of getting back to the Middle East? Is that the million-dollar question? Oh, it is. When the, when the border situation normalises, I think. So hopefully everyone gets vaccinated and we can play catch-up and get some sort of normal life happening again for everyone so um as soon as possible um you know hopefully but in the meantime we've got our partners over there and everything's running fine and they're doing great without me actually so <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing what what zoom has enabled and um and sort of yeah the empowerment of technology through this crisis has been incredible it is indeed. Thanks so much for your time. And, Thanks, um, Maureen. Keep in touch and spread the word about Tilly Money. We'd love to. Likewise. Okay. Take care. Bye. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.